Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the CIC Cast. I'm Joel Cookson. Very happy to be along with you once again, as we've got an exciting th- list of guests to join us this week to talk a little CIAC championship competition. We are finally wrapped up. After a busy few weeks of the spring championship season, we are thrilled with all of the results. Certainly was a great uh, few weeks and a great weekend this past weekend of championship action. So we're very happy to uh, be back with you this week to talk a lot about some of those championships. Uh, Hopefully this will be what I'm calling part one of our championship recap. We're going to hopefully be back with you next week. Uh, We're breaking our every other week trend, at least for this week, to talk about the uh, the CIC championships that we don't get to quite as in-depth this week so we uh if we don't talk about your favorite sport uh this week be sure to check back in with us next week and hopefully we'll uh be able to dive into all of them but coming up this week we are going to have a great list of guests to talk about CIAC championships it's really exciting we're going to be chatting with Glenn Conticello on the softball championships, which earned a lot of buzz, certainly after a remarkable weekend of competition. We're going to have Mike Sportini of Laxworm.com back with us to talk some boys lacrosse. Then we are going to be on the phone as well with Henry Chisholm from the New Haven Register to talk about some baseball. And then Steve Buno from the Darien Times is going to be with us to talk a little bit about the remarkable spring season that the uh, Darien Blue Wave were able to put together as well. So a busy list. We may be uh, approaching our longest podcast of the season. I have a feeling we might get uh, cruising past that hour mark, but we'll see how we do and uh, hopefully have some interesting conversation and chance to recap all of the exciting action from the spring season. We're happy to have you along with us as we do that. But before we get into uh, our recurring feature on our interviews, want to remind you, our good friends from the Connecticut Department of Transportation, uh, remind you to keep those phones tucked away once you uh, you hop into the car. As I always say, we uh, we hope maybe you're listening to the uh, CIAC cast when you're on your commute or you're driving around uh, with your friends. But uh, when you, you press play on, the, uh, on your phone, be sure to then put it away. A reminder that uh, sending or receiving a text Text takes a driver's eyes from the road for an average of 4.6 seconds, which driving at 55 miles an hour, that's the equivalent of traveling the length of an entire football field blind. So you don't have to be a, a genius or even a CIAC employee to know that that's not a good idea. So please do not text and drive or drive distracted and encourage your friends and family to park the phone when they are behind the wheel. One text or call could wreck it all. And certainly uh, summertime now for a lot of uh, students, we certainly don't want to hear about any uh, any tragic incidences on the road uh, for our student athletes or for any students. So keep those phones safely tucked away once you are in the car and behind the wheel. So that is uh, where we are right now. Let's quickly dive into our recurring feature here, things you might have missed on CIACsports.com. We'll go through this quickly as we do have a lot of great guests to get to. First of all, the Tournament Central section. Uh, that's where you can find all of the results from the CIC tournaments. We actually revamped it a little bit right now. It's featuring the complete edition of cha- Linked Up Championship Edition. So if you want to read uh, coverage from the local papers on all of the spring championships, you can go to the Tournament Central page, and those are all prominently displayed right now on Tournament Central. Also on uh, CICsports.com, we've got some new features from uh, Max Preps talking about the 
Portland baseball team and the hot pitching carrying them to the championship. We'll get to them a little bit later on this show. Also talking about the uh, strong finish for the Stonington girls lacrosse team as they earned a state championship this past weekend as well. We've got a few, uh, also a feature on the New Canaan girls lacrosse uh, coach and a, a big moment from that championship that I took the time to write about something that jumped out at me from that as well. So that's just a few of the things you might have missed on CIACsports.com. Hope you'll take the time to dive in and find all the good content that we've got covering the weekend's championships and all the great action from the spring championship season. As always, we also hope you check out the NFHS network where we were able to provide unprecedented coverage just about uh, we've got semifinals and finals uh, from every single spring championship sport available on demand on the NFHS network. So hope you'll take a look at that and then consider maybe becoming a subscriber next fall once we get into that uh, action next fall. Have the chance to watch a lot of events live on the NFHS network. So nfhsnetwork.com, look for the Connecticut tab to find all that good information. And as always, you can also follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports. That's a great way to stay up to date with what's happening in the CIAC. So that's a quick edition of Things You Might Have Missed. We're going to move along now very quickly to our guests. As we said, we've got a lot of good folks to chat with this week. One of the big stories coming out of Championship Weekend was the exciting uh, softball finals taking place at West Haven and in Meriden. And uh, we've got a great guest to help us go through a lot of that. So let's get right to it. Talking a little softball with Glenn Conticello. West Haven High School was the site of some of the most uh, excitement in championship weekend, and Glenn Conticello was there calling the, uh, the action for the NFHS Network and CPTV Sports, and Glenn has been uh, kind enough to join us to, to talk about all of the excitement that he saw at the softball championships. Glenn, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. So uh, I think uh, Sunday and Monday, the, the game that everybody was talking about uh, across the state of Connecticut was that double L classic between Southington and, uh, and Amity that wrapped up sometime uh, around midnight there on, uh, on, on Saturday evening. So you had the pleasure of, of being there for all of that one. And uh, just kind of, if you could, give us a sense of, uh, of what the emotions were like as, of that one as, that, uh, as it plowed towards uh, its 15-inning resolution. And, and did you have any sort of sense of, uh, of how things were going to play out as the night uh, wore on? Well, I, I had commented a couple of times during the broadcast that, you know, the obvious one run is, is going to win it. Yeah. But can a team score a run? Uh, Katie Koshis, just a sophomore, this young lady, and the amount of torque she gets on her pitches and, and the velocity, I mean, striking out 21 batters. I mean, yeah. she was untouchable. Yeah. For, this, for this situation to happen, for that home run to be hit uh, by Rachel Doobie is quite a feat with the way this young lady had pitched throughout the game. She scattered, uh, what, five hits until the home run, and like I said, 21 strikeouts. But Kendra Freed uh, almost uh, matched her strikeout for strikeout. She struck out 16. But both young ladies, I mean, it was heartbreaking. Again, I said this throughout the broadcast. It will be just so heartbreaking for a team to lose this game. I did joke during the broadcast that we will not have co-champions. They will play this game out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it was that kind of a game where you, you would say, you know what, co-champions might not be that bad with the way the two girls were pitching. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, we might have to, that might be a, a case where we could bend our rules a little bit and uh, find a way <laughs> right. to give, uh, give out two championship trophies. So you, you talked about this a little bit, but just, did you have any sense, you know, that, this, that you were going to be kind of in for this sort of low-scoring game early or, or, you know, and even when, the, when we did get to 
the uh, the game winning hit in the in the fifteenth. Any sense that that was coming, or did it just seem like the pitchers were, could could go all night long and uh, and and sort of have control over those hitters? Well, uh, Kendra Freed uh, for Sunnington sh- struck out uh, the uh, got all three batters on strikeouts in the first inning after giving up the second pitch base hit. I said, okay, I guess she's going to be vulnerable here today. And then she comes right back and strikes out the uh, the next three straight batters and. And uh, the other uh, side uh, for um, Amity, uh, Katie Koshis, she, she struck out uh, two batters in the first inning, then struck out two more in the second inning, and then they kept piling up, piling up. And I had commented throughout the broadcast uh, with the statistics when the players would come to the come to the plate saying, mm-hmm. yes, she had three home runs in the season. She had a home run in the season. So I kept suggesting, okay, if there, if someone's going to hit a home run, uh, this young lady has hit one or has hit five or has hit two. I mean, Doobie only had two yep. home runs during the regular season. So it, it was going to take one swing of the bat to end that game uh, just with the way the pitchers were pitching. And the other side of the coin was maybe an error or a mistake would lead to a run. And honestly, that didn't happen. And if you want a team to win, you didn't want it to win on the opposition's committing an error. A home run is uh, is the uh, I think the only way that game was going to end was someone's going to have to run into a, a fastball, and that's what happened. Yeah, it didn't seem like uh, either team was likely to uh, to string a lot of hits together the way the uh, the the pitchers were going. But uh, right. le- lest we think that that was the only uh, exciting game of the day, you were treated to uh, a few other uh, uh, thrillers, in, including the um, the Class S final with Thomaston putting together a, a, a thrilling comeback, trailing six nothing, and somehow rallied. What uh, what seemed to be the difference in that one, and what kind of turned the momentum over to uh, to Thomaston's side? And did you have any sense that that they were capable of that kind of rally after falling behind? All right, I'm going to answer your last question first. I had zero sense that was going to happen. <laughs> Thomaston, it, it, they just didn't get it. They they weren't uh, they weren't putting any hits together. And when they did get a runner on base, um, a double play ball, a person got thrown out on a stolen base. Attempt, so it it just wasn't working. They were down six nothing, and honestly, we were just rolling to the final seventh inning to wrap up the game. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, they woke up in the fifth inning. Uh, they got they uh, got a, a triple from uh, Jensen Cleveland. Um, she ripped it to right center field, then a walk, and then all of a sudden, base hits. There was an error in that inning that led to a run, but they picked up. Uh, I, I thought that that fifth inning was a huge inning for them, just to get on the board. But they got three on the board, so they yeah. were. De- definitely in the game at six to three, and then in the sixth inning they came right back, batted around, and were able to score three runs. They easily could have had more runs, but they uh, they couldn't push across any more than the three that they got. But you know, uh, Old Saybrook wasn't out of the game. Yes, they gave up a six nothing lead. They still had opportunities uh, in the seventh and the eighth. But um, Thomaston, uh, what a year they have had <laughs> <Yeah>. athletically. <laughs> this small school with the amount of student enrollment that they have, the, the girls' basketball, girls' softball, you had baseball in the finals. Unfortunately, they lost to Portland. But the point is, athletically, they had a phenomenal year. Yeah, and and, and the, that girls uh, and and I know several of those uh, the softball players were on that basketball team. They seem to to thrive on the drama a little bit as well. So uh, they, they, yeah, I, that I, class S final I, was about as exciting as you could see in basketball, and then they followed up. Absolutely, I mean Abby Herbert on the foul line, you know, with no time left, and to keep the game going, to hit three straight uh, free throws, and she came up in that eighth inning with the winning run on, and hit an absolute frozen rope to left field that. Uh, Tina Goslin uh, didn't even have to uh, move. 
in her tracks, but it was a, a screamer right at her. And I once she hit it, I thought the game was over, but it was right at the left fielder uh, setting up O'Neill's uh, game-winning base hit. But, uh, yeah, there's a number of the players on the, on the softball team that also play on the girls' basketball team. So they have come away with uh, two championships this season. Uh, again, just – uh, a great comeback, great victory, and a great year for Thomaston Athletics. Yeah, nerves of steel. Uh, I don't think uh, much yeah. seems to rattle uh, that that collection of, uh, of of female athletes. I so I guess it says a little something about the the weekend and and the uh, the games that you got to cover. That uh, the game with sort of the least amount of drama was just uh, <laughs> your regular two nothing pitchers duel uh, with Seymour being able to get the best of East Haven. What sort of stood out to you from uh, that Class M final? In all honesty, it just was a very uh, quiet type game. There were an awful lot of hits. It was only three hits combined uh, throughout the game. Mm-hmm. The pitchers were uh, um, they weren't overpowering per se, like you know we just had with Southington with 21 strikeouts or 16 strikeouts. But uh, Loda had uh, six strikeouts uh, in the game. Uh, but unfortunately, she gave up two runs. But unfortunately, those two runs led. Uh, uh, scored rather uh, because of errors in the inning. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, where the defense uh, broke down a little bit for Seymour, and um, uh, you know, that, I meant rather for East Haven rather, and that's what led to Seymour scoring their two runs. But you know, just was yeah, it was just a very you know uh, laissez-faire type of a game. Couple of three hits total, they scored two runs, bing bang boom, the game was over with. We, it was not a, for, a, a foreshadowing of what was to come later on in the day, by all means. Yeah, no, and uh, it shows, you know, we, we see this every year, and, and obviously the, the Class L, Double L final showed it as well, but the, the margin for error in some of these softball finals with the kind of pitching and, uh, and defense that you see is just so slim. You know, the, the, as you said, those errors proved costly. Uh, when, when offense can be at a premium, you, the, the teams that can play tight defense certainly seem to have an advantage. Well, I, I think, honestly, it doesn't really matter what the sport is. I mean, uh, mistakes in championship games uh, are exemplified, and uh, they can come back and hurt you. And unfortunately for this situation for East Haven, two mistakes uh, led to two runs, but it was only two runs. I mean, it wasn't like they, were, they got blown out by all means, but they just could not uh, put together any type of a rally against uh, Rayanne Geffert. She pitched real well, and uh, she just scattered uh, two hits, and that was it. Never really was in deep hot water. And when she was, she was able to get either a, a bounce out or a strike out and got out of it. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, three exciting games, and we should mention obviously the uh, the Class L softball championship. Not to diminish that one, we just uh, Glenn that happened to be at a different site, so Glenn wasn't <laughs> right. able to uh, to offer much uh, perspective on that one. But of course, Fitch uh, knocking off Sacred Heart Academy in the Class L finals. Want to make sure we don't uh, don't leave anybody out, even though uh, as we said, that one uh, took place at a, at a different site. So. Just a kind of big picture thing, maybe as you as you look back on on uh, now recording this on a Wednesday, but from the championship weekend, sort of biggest takeaways from uh, from the three games, or, or sort of big picture thoughts that you might have on what took place at West Haven on on Saturday. Well, I, again, I've been doing this for a lot of years. I've I've played, I've coached, um, managed, uh, depending on the sport, and obviously I've been a broadcasting uh, broadcasting these type games for thirty thirty five years. Mm-hmm. It's uh, hopefully the the student athletes take away you know the lasting memories of you know the winners. Obviously, will never forget. Unfortunately, the losers come away with you know, the last game they played this season. Some of them were seniors. You know, hey, we lost, and it's a bad taste in their mouth. But in all honesty, you look at what they had to accomplish to get to that championship, 
it, it, it was a lot of work, a lot of practice, a lot of teamwork, and hopefully they take that away. Uh, you could see the emotion on the field when the game is over with, especially if it's a dramatic ending like the Thomaston win or the Southington win. You've got mm-hmm. people jumping up and down, and you've got players crying. Yeah. And it, it's the emotion. And you take, I mean, again, being a manager for so many years at the Little League level, American Legion level, you, you try and teach the kids that, you know, when things go great and you, you express your emotion, you, you win with uh, honor and dignity, but when you lose, you got to take away something from a loss and a lot of good came out from this past season. So you got those kids that lost, they still had a great year to get to a champion. There was only two teams that made it to that point. They were one of the two teams. So there's still a lot of good to get out, take it out from a game, even though you, you might not have won. Yeah, that's uh, that's very very well said and, a, and an excellent final point. And I've, I've often said that you know no matter how long you sort of are in the the sports business, it never gets any easier seeing kids uh, whose career has come to an end with a you know with a loss, whether it's their right. high school career or their college career or whatever it might be. It's a uh, it's not an easy thing to to watch, but uh, as you say, hope that the the kids uh, realize all of the good that came out of it, not just that that last moment. So. We uh, we greatly appreciate uh, first of all all the work you've done all year uh, covering um, CIAC championship events for a variety of folks and uh, appreciate you uh, joining us today to offer your insight in what was really just a thrilling uh, weekend of, of softball action. So thanks for being with us, Glenn, and, and thanks for uh, providing some great moments for the uh, the NFHS Network and CPTV Sports uh, on Saturday. Not a problem. Thanks very much. Love the perspective that Glenn was able to bring to those uh, softball championships. As he as he said, he's got a lot of a uh, lot of years covering some uh, championship events. So really appreciate him being with us for the first time on the CIAC cast to get his perspective on what was just a remarkable weekend of softball competition. We move along now to Brian McMahon High School. That's where the boys lacrosse championships were held this past weekend, and that's where Mike Sportini of Laxworm.com was hanging out. And now he's going to be hanging out with us to talk a little bit about those championships. On the phone now, we are very happy to have back for his encore performance on the CIC cast, Mike Sportini of Laxworm.com and Laxworm Radio. Mike, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, Joel. We uh, we had the, the, the chance to talk to you, I believe, right before the regular season wrapped up in uh, boys lacrosse, and so wanted to, to check back in with you again to see uh, how everything shaped out during the uh, the postseason, obviously, as we crowned three champions this, this past weekend, and, and wanted to start with the L game, uh, where Darianne was able to come away with the victory over its rival, uh, over its rival, uh, New Canaan. Um, obviously a very tight game, 10-8 game. What kind of stood out to you uh, as the keys for Darien coming away with another championship in Class M? You know, the, the one thing that really amazed me by Darien this year was just their, their, their composure. The way they play in a game, they're never out of it. Uh, they're, they're never sitting back and, and waiting for something to happen. They feel like they have control. When you're standing on the sidelines and you're listening, it just feels like they have control all the yeah. way through. And certainly Darien and New Canaan are a rivalry, you know, three times this year they've played, mm-hmm. um, both time, two times prior to this going to overtime. I mean, this was like a storybook matchup. Darien with an undefeated season coming into this, New Canaan having the opportunity to knock their rival down and give them their first loss. I mean, it had everything in the makings of just a terrific marquee matchup. Yeah. Uh, and the big thing is if you look at both of those teams, 
what's great about them is they're so well balanced. Darian had eight different scorers in that team uh, in that game. Mm-hmm. New Canaan had seven different scorers on a, and and you're talking about a score of 10 to 8. You're not talking about huge scores. Yeah. So these guys really know how to pass that ball around. Each team had so many weapons. And I think this year it was Darian Jaren, and I, I wrote a little blog on my my website that said I think Darian could be that could be the best high school team, meaning Darian, that I've ever seen in Connecticut, uh, at least as long as I've been watching it. Yeah, well, that uh, you you dove right into my next question there, so let's uh, let's kind of hit t- touch on that a little bit. Obviously, the sort of the the consensus throughout the season seemed to be that Darian was was probably one, you know the top team in the state, and uh, you know it seemed like nothing happened uh, this championship weekend to disprove that theory. So you know where in in your mind, obviously, I would guess they are the the top team in the state this season, and you mentioned their sort of their standing overall. How what about that team sort of stood out to you as as you know such a you know, not just the the best team in the state this season, but as you said, maybe the best team you've ever seen in uh, in Connecticut high school lacrosse. You know, what stood out the most is there was no real, and I'm not trying to discount the uh, the Jack Niffins or, or the Ian Burgoynes or the Lindleys or the Huffords of the team, mm-hmm. but no standout. It, it, there was no one player that they tried to dish to all the time. It was just so well balanced. Yeah, and defensively. I think a lot of the time, you know, we heard a lot about Greenwich's defense early on because Greenwich had defenders that had been playing together for a while, and and it was their year. And but what I think what went under the radar screen was Darian's defense. It was mm-hmm. just tremendous. It, it was able to shut them down. It created a lot of turnovers. Uh, I think this team, Darian, was such a well balanced team, and I say team in quotation marks because there were no one guy or two guys that really took off and said, I'm going to take this on my shoulders. It was truly a team effort. If you look back, I mean, there are five other undefeated teams in the state, New Canaan back in 1982, New Canaan in 1990. The one team that I'd probably equate this team to, Darien was the last undefeated team in 2005. I would equate them to Wilton in 1995. Who okay. had a, they were ranked second nationally, this team, in 1995. They were 22-0. Um, they really were a, a, a strong, strong team from an undefeated perspective. And not to take anything away from any of the, those, you know, New Canaan or, or Darien 2005, because they're in that FCAC and we know the way that division is. Yeah. But I think this year you look at Darien 2014, ranked number one in the Northeast region. They're fifth nationally. They're behind Boys, Boys Latin, Culver Academy, Malvern Prep, Georgetown Prep, all private schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is a public school that's ranked in, you know, number one ranked public school, in my opinion. Uh, they go on to win the FCX championships, which is probably one of the toughest divisions in the country in the FCX. And then they go on to win the M championships. So when you think about that, plus their out-of-state play that they had against Yorktown, against St. Anthony, some of the big names, I mean, this team was just a dominant team all the way through. Yeah, no no question. As you said, that uh, running the table and seeing no uh, no – check marks in that loss column uh, anytime you could do that that's certainly a, a memorable season and yeah 2014 certainly going to be a, a memorable one for Darion you mentioned uh, Greenwich uh, and their defense moving along to that the class L championship game the the Cardinals able to uh, to defeat Staples to get their first uh, first state championship for that program what was the what was the story of that final to you the class L match between Greenwich and Staples you know, I think I think the story here was just a little overmatched. I think Staples came in, certainly the underdog in this game. I think Staples did a lot of great things. Coach McNulty and his team were very well prepared for Greenwich. 
but I think Greenwich was just a little, little had a little bit more firepower than Staples did. I mean, it really came down to that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think the the big piece about Greenwich though is they needed to prove something. They were coming into this; they'd never won a state championship. They had to go through Fairfield Prep. They had to go through Ridgefield mm-hmm. to get to play Staples. So they didn't do it on an easy route by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, and and they had and they did it with. You know, Kyle Foot was out. One of their, if not their star player, one of their star players was out with a, with a uh, ankle injury. So they did it without him. And when I coach, when I spoke to Coach Bulkley, one of the things Coach Bulkley said is, we didn't want an excuse. We didn't want to go in and lose. And then said, well, if Kyle Foot was in there, uh, we could have won. He wanted to make sure that his team was prepared to win and go out and play Staples tough. And they did. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, congratulations that that first championship. I'm sure is, uh, is as we talked about memorable things. That uh, the first title for that program obviously is uh, is one of those memorable moments. Um, the last uh, state, you know, the last championship game, and I, I think the last time we talked, uh, you mentioned St. Joseph as sort of a, a team to keep an eye on in Class S. Uh, you know, going through the the tough FCAC regular season, you proved to be uh, prophetic there as they knocked off a very game uh, Brookfield team in the uh, the S championship. What did you see as sort of the difference in that contest? You know, I think this uh, Brookfield, first of all, I have to say, Brookfield impressed me a whole lot in that game. I really didn't think they would be as close as they were to St. Joe's, and, I, and hats off to uh, Coach Loftus and Brookfield. They just did a tremendous job, and they have some great players. Andrew Collins had seven points on the game, five, game, five goals, two assists. Mm-hmm. So they definitely had the players out there. I think this is another case of just, you know, a team coming out of the FCAC division that just had the experience all, all year long playing at a faster, higher level, and, and being prepared for the championship. St. Joe's has been there for the last five years, I think it is. So mm-hmm. they certainly are, are not novices to being in that final game. Uh, when you have a guy like Ryan Corcoran put in seven goals and, and you just can't stop him, yeah. and then Josiah Wilson has two goals, seven assists, uh, you, you've got a team there that really knows each other. and You can't shut a guy down that has seven goals. You just know that that team has got a little bit of an edge on you offensively. Um, and that's what you saw in the St. Joe's game. Coach Izzo did a great job with his team all year long. I thought they would win it from day one. I just thought they were going to be that team in Class S. Um, if you asked me if Brookfield would be there, be there, I wouldn't have guessed that. So that's why hats off to Brookfield. I think they played terrific. Yeah, really uh, saw the. I saw, was able to see the early stages of that game and, and just a very high level uh, from both teams. Really impressed with the uh, the efforts of both those squads. You you touched on it a little bit with Brookfield, so I want to uh, sort of ask it as a broader question. Looking at the tournament as a whole, any sort of surprises that uh, that jumped out at you, or or did generally speaking things kind of play out maybe the way you expected? No, you know what? There were a couple surprises. I think when you look at the Staples game versus Amity in the semifinals, mm-hmm. I don't think if you asked me before would Staples be only two goals up on Amity, and when I say two goals up, it was a tight game all the way through, I probably would have said I wouldn't have believed that. I think Amity played a terrific semifinal semifinal game against Staples. Yeah. Um, so I think that was a surprise to me. Certainly Greenwich's run. I, you know, I have to go back to them. I know they won the state championship, so we've given them their kudos. Sure. But getting through Fairfield Prep and getting through Ridgefield, who I think are both in that top five in the state still, it, mm-hmm. it was just a tremendous effort by Greenwich. And, you know, Prep, they won by a goal. Greenwich, I mean, uh, Ridgefield, they won by two goals. So these weren't easy games they yeah. really had to get through. So that certainly was something that, that surprised me. 
I got to say, the M, the M class didn't surprise me a lot. I think this was one of those things, and I heard, I talked to a lot of other media that were out there, and they were like, this is, as, you know, there, there's there's no climax to this particular division. You know that it's going to be New Canaan and Darianne. But I think what you saw is you saw some teams out there that didn't get in and haven't been in, like Stratford. You know, they're, they're in the championship game. They, they get into the playoffs. They get their first round, and who they get to pick is Darianne. Mm-hmm. Unfortunate, but at least they were there. Yeah. So some of those teams surprised me getting into the actual championships. I think the – or the championship tournament. I think in the S division, the big, the big surprise to me was watching some of the upstate teams – uh, Northwest Catholic, who who beat Weston, um, and I think that's, you know, Weston certainly may not have been the strongest they've been in years past, but they were still a decent team. And Northwest Catholic beat them by a goal to get into the semifinals against mm-hmm. Mitchell. And I think that's a big thing. I think you got to start looking at a little bit of the parity around uh, around the, the state now, and that could be one of those games that we may look back on years from now and say, you know, that was the that was the trigger. That's what started upstate really starting to compete with some of these downstate teams. Yeah, no, certainly that uh you know, always hope that the uh that the balance, not that it shifts, but that 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 there's competitive games all the way through the tournament. That's uh that's what we love to see uh certainly from our uh, our our vantage point here in the uh the CISC office. We love the competition uh all the way through. So, hope that uh, hope that you're right and we we continue to see sort of the growth of the sport uh across the state. Uh last uh last question for you and obviously you know the Darien undefeated season and as you said maybe one of the the great seasons uh in in the sports history in Connecticut is a big one but just sort of final takeaways from the tournament or or the season in general as you uh as you watch it as a longtime observer of the sport in Connecticut yeah I think you know if you if you look at what the surprises were it was probably some of the newer teams that got into the to the CIAC tournament brackets and that was exciting to see. I don't think any of the teams that won surprised me all that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they were kind of favored throughout. I think Greenwich was one of those teams that you kind of favored them through the year um, to get into that Class L final game. Darien, New Canaan, certainly everyone kind of thought they would be there. St. Joe's, I thought they would be there. But I think when you go back and you look through the tournament, it was competitive. Um, the first round aside, when you got into the – the quarterfinals and the semifinals, these teams really started to get competitive, and that was exciting to see. And, again, when you start talking about parity around the around the state, this is the big area that you get it, is, is in these the quarterfinals and the semifinals. Yep. You're always going to have the new ones. Unless the playoff form, format changes, if you to the classes, the L, M, and S, you're always going to have some blowouts in the first round. But coming into that quarterfinal and being competitive – that's really what you want to see in the tournament brackets. And I, and I think you saw that. I mean, for the most cases, the, the, the teams were competitive. They fought each other. And they won. They, a lot of them were one or two goal games getting into the semifinals. Yeah, really, uh, I think you're right. And, and just felt it had, a, a, a even a, from a year ago, seemed to have a little bit more of a competitive feel from that, uh, as you said, from the quarterfinals on. So really uh, an exciting uh, 2014 season. And uh, congratulations again to the three teams that were able to, to come away with championships. And uh, you can check out lots of uh, great information about uh, boys lacrosse in Connecticut at uh, laxworm.com. And uh, we thank uh, Mike Sportini once again for, for being with us and offering your insights, Mike. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll check in with you again uh, maybe early next spring as, uh, as things start to shake out for the 2015 season. Joel, I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. 
from boys lacrosse, we turn our attention to boys baseball as we thank Mike Sportini for being with us once again and offering his uh, his perspective on the boys lacrosse season. Now we get some perspective from someone who was at all four baseball championships at Palmer Field this past weekend, Henry Chisholm of the New Haven Register. Time to check in now on some of the baseball championship action from this past weekend at Palmer Field in Middletown. And to do that, we get in touch with Henry Chisholm from the New Haven Register and and Game Time CT. Henry, thanks for uh, joining us to talk a little baseball. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to have you on. And uh, we'll dive right in here. It seemed like the game that uh, got the most attention over the weekend uh, was the the Class M championship between Rocky Hill and uh, and Haddon Haddon Killingworth. Rocky Hill with a a pretty remarkable uh, road to the championship with back-to-back uh, extra inning wins and then the comeback in the championship. What uh, sort of impressed you the most about Rocky Hill uh, in the championship game and, and kind of stood out to you from that Class M final? Well, you know, I had a feeling, you know, going into the Class M tournament that that was probably going to be the most competitive one. Now, I was thinking that the Eastern Connecticut Conference teams were going to really steal the show, Plainfield, yeah. uh, Waterford, and Montville, and they all got knocked off, you know. I think with Rocky Hill, it's just, you know, being able to win those close games, being able to win those games that, um, you know, go down to the wire. You know, you said they had that run where, you know, in the quarterfinals, they won an eight, and the uh, semis, they beat the defending champion, St. Joe's in 12, and, and then in, in the championship game, obviously going down to the wire, and they went on a walk-off walk. So just their their persistence, you know, their resiliency, and their ability to beat good teams because, you know, for a number one seed, they did have to play some really tough teams in the quarter. They beat uh they beat a North Brantford team that was peaking at the right time and, and North Brantford usually is good around the postseason. So, you know, just you know, even though it, it was tough the way that game turned out, I know there was some talk about the balls and strikes and uh, you know, the the call at home plate, but um, you know, they earned it. You know, yeah. whatever they had to go through just to get to that point. They earned the championship, so you know they deserve it. Calls aside, they they earned that one. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, a, a tough road for a, even for a number one seed to uh, to get all the way there. Sort of a, a very different road for the uh, the class double L champion as uh, as Amity manages to uh, to repeat as the the class double L champions, but was sort of a strange uh, strange way to get there. Didn't seem for most of the year, at least the early part of the season, uh, that this was a team that looked poised to to earn a uh, a back to back championship. What what sort of seemed to be the key uh, from your perspective to Amity's uh, run to another championship? To me, it was pitching. You know, and I think that's one constant that that's held over uh, for the previous season. You know, even though they don't have Sam Napierski and they don't have um, Mike Concato, who both were really, you know, just pretty much automatic yeah. last season. You know, Nick Fuscoman and Ross Weiner and Mike Capel when he came back, uh, Sebastian DeMauro, who was playing center, you know, he hadn't pitched since uh, playing junior varsity ball and came in at the beginning of the year since they were short on a couple of arms and said, listen, you know, I'll close. And he was closing for them at the end of the year, and he closed out the championship game as well. You know, it's just a pitching. You know, I, I think they went through the uh, tournament last year, and they gave up three runs. Right. This year, they give up five. I think they outscored their opponents 33-5. to five. You know, um, Anthony Capazello from last year, Jake Russo, Sebastian Zamora, all these guys are guys that swung the bat well for them last season and, and then came in and, and did it again this year. So, you know, I think sometimes, you know, when you have a, a good team, you know, you have your core, and then out of that core group of guys, there's one or two players that are the best. When those one or two guys graduate, if you bring back the rest of that core, yeah. 
probably going to be good again. I, I think Amity's slow start this year was due to, you know, they had a tough schedule. East Haven is good. And Fairfield Prep, they lost to Kevin Stone first game of the year, and, and he's a great pitcher, and they're, and they're a good team as well. Yeah. But I, I think they had to believe it. You know, they had to believe, you know what, we don't have Sam and we don't have Mike, but we're still good. You know, we're still the defending class double L champs, and for all intents and purposes, we're still the defending SCC champs. So, you know, I, I think once they figured that out, once they started to play, you know, uh, up to their capabilities, you started to see how good of a team they were. I, I knew they had it in them all year long. Yeah, no, it certainly, as you said, it seems like a, a team that kind of took a, just took a few a uh, few extra weeks maybe to figure out how good they were, and once they did, they were uh, uh, back sort of in the familiar territory atop the uh, the Class Double L. You talked about pitching and uh, that run that Amity went on last year, where they uh, basically didn't allow any runs in the tournament. Uh, the sort of parallel this year was in Class S with uh, with Portland, that just seemed to to cap a uh, a championship run with dominant pitching uh was that the big story for you in class s with portland winning that championship oh yeah definitely you know you know if there was any team that won a championship that i really did not you know predict or have any kind of knowledge of or really thought they had the you know the, the ability to win a championship it would have to be portland i gotta admit that you know i did not have them winning i know early in the season i think they picked up a victory over i want to say it was cromwell and uh, at the time, Cromwell was in the top 10 poll, and I put, you know, they lost to Portland with, like, a couple question marks in the in the top 10, you know, and then to see the kind of run that they had. I mean, they had the time all year long, and, and they got the pitching, and, you know, in Class S, and I think really for the state, but especially in Class S, if you've got two arms, yeah, you're, you're in good shape. And they had the arms, and, you know, they made some smart moves. I know in the, uh, the win against East Hampton, you know, they walked uh, Marvin Gorgas, even though I think he represented the tying run in that game, they went on to win that four to one. So, you know, you got to give credit to the coaching and, uh, you know, like I said, the pitching. You know, they did a great job in the tournament. They only gave up uh, what four, two runs, really. Yeah, they gave up yeah. two runs the entire tournament. So, you know, they are uh, they definitely did the job. Yeah, that's a uh, pretty remarkable to uh, to go through that many games. And I don't care, yeah, how you how you manage to do it, but just giving up two runs and a a championship run is is impressive. And uh, finally, the uh, in terms of just looking at the championship games, you had the Class L championship with uh, a team that I know in your region you're very familiar with of uh, Notre Dame West Haven. And I know you wrote in the uh, your story on on Game Time CT that this was a team that maybe wasn't getting the attention uh, and then came through uh, to sort of come out of the shadows a little bit in the, uh, the, the postseason tournament. What changed uh, for Notre Dame West Haven uh, to kind of get them uh, to step into the forefront in the, uh, the tournament time? Oh, they won the championship. <laughs> I mean, nothing, nothing helps you get attention more than winning, winning the biggest game. But, yeah. you know, I think they were good all year. They played solid ball all year. They went 16-4 in the regular season. They lost their first game in the uh, SEC tournament. They got shut out one nothing. They lost to Amity, who went out to win a class double L. So right. it just goes to show how how good you have to be to beat that team. I think um, they were solid all year, and it's kind of like Lawton Hall in uh, girls basketball, which I covered and I know we talked about. Sometimes mm-hmm. when you just do everything right, you don't commit four errors a game, and you know you don't have conversely you don't have guys that are like really lighting up the stat sheet people tend to forget that you're there. Even though they have John Amendola, and in my opinion, he's one of the best pitchers in the state. I think he's the best pitcher in the area. They didn't really have that bat or that guy in the lineup who you would say, you know, they're they're that good because of that guy. You know, so 
I think Amendola kind of got lost in the shuffle as well, which he shouldn't have. But like I said, they've been good all year, and that team was was built to win a championship. I mean, they pushed Vance across, they um they pitched well, and it's not just Amendola; they got other guys that can pitch that can pitch well. Um, in addition to him, so yeah. and I think too they they got a great matchup because when you have a team that can play small ball, and then through playing small ball, they can kind of stretch it out and. You know, maybe a guy gets a double here or there to go along with some hit and runs and bunts and steals and stuff like that, and then you can you can string together a five run game. Mm-hmm. But going up against a Masic team in the final, I mean, Masic as good as they are and they've got a lot of talent. They had a great year. They swing at the first pitch all the time. Yeah. So when you got a good pitcher on the mound, and he knows they're going to swing at the first pitch, and your guys behind him can play some defense, you keep his arm fresh. I, I mean, I'm in I don't, even, I don't remember how many pitches he threw in that game, but it, it couldn't have been more than 90. I think he probably only threw like 80-something. and You know, because they, they swing at the first pitch almost all the time. So, right. you know, it worked out. It worked in their advantage. They didn't have to go into the bullpen. They could have stayed, they stayed with Amandola, you know, for the for the whole game and, and finish it off. Yeah, no, that's something, you know, that uh, I know you uh, always enjoy at the start of these tournaments trying to do some predictions, but you can never fully predict how the, you know, those matchups are going to play out. You know, you don't always know who's going to end up facing who, and that can can give you a little bit different perspective on a a game once you get to that point. Um, Yeah. Looking at sort of the 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 tournament, uh, you know, for, uh, on a broader view, I'm curious. You know, we always hear, and we obviously we've talked about already. Uh, you know, how pitching, you know, these sort of dominant pitchers are such a key to uh, to winning the championships. I'm curious what uh, what maybe the top pitching performance in in any of the tournaments that uh, that you saw might have been. Uh, you know, kind of looking back, if you think back and say, man, that guy really had it that day. What was the uh, the best maybe individual pitching performance you saw in, in the across the tournaments this spring? Well, I'll go back to Class Allen, Notre Dame, West Haven. Um, it was a quarterfinal against Bunnell. That was probably the best I saw. You know, I would say, I mean, um, Amandola came one batter from having a no-hitter. Uh, I think it was the catcher for Bunnell who just, like, lined the base hit over the uh, the first baseman, Ted, and, and Ronnie Rosamondo, who's going off to – UConn, you know, he mm-hmm. pitched his butt off in that game as well. I think that was the best. Just a really good pitcher's duel. Notre Dame West Haven won that game three nothing. You know, it was just a just a good job, you know, on the part of both guys. And obviously, Amendola getting close to throwing that no hitter in that game. So that to me was the best uh, individual performance. I guess you can give it performances because Rosamondo pitched a great game as well. Yeah. How about uh, sort of on the other side, not necessarily in terms of individual games, but uh, maybe some offensive stars that really stood out to you in the uh, in the tournaments? Well, offensive stars, you know, I would I would have to go with Amity. You know, even though obviously they, they won class double L, I think because their um, the pitching is always so solid, sometimes they're hitting take the back seat. We want to go to the second round game against Fairfield Prep. Fairfield Prep threw their ace out there, uh, Kevin Stone. I think in the first game, of the season when Amity lost to Prep, mm-hmm. they only scored like one run if they scored at all, and they teed off on the on this kid and they uh, they scored nine in that game and they kept it going, uh, scoring seven in the quarterfinal and obviously in the final scoring eight. So you know I think their guys really found it and you know Anthony Capazello and uh, Sebastian Demol those guys they they're good at getting runs in so those two and that team as a well, whole. Gotcha. All right. Well, uh, sort of final question then, as we uh, we always appreciate your uh, your insight from what I know, what I know was a, a busy weekend and a busy weeks of uh, of covering the baseball championships. Kind of looking at the season as a whole, 
what uh, sort of stand out to you as some of the big stories of the uh, the 2014 baseball season, either you know through the championships or, or just in terms of the regular season? Well, in my opinion, I think the biggest story um, had to do with uh, the baseball. Mm-hmm. You know that that to me, because I mean that's like obviously you know you can't play the game without a good ball, and to see so many teams kind of tearing through baseball throughout the year because the you know the leather wasn't good, pitching wasn't tight enough, or whatever the case may be, and just seeing what the teams had to go through throughout the year. Um, and then in the tournament, you know, they replaced them and they had, you know, a, a better baseball that they said was comparable to a, a diamond baseball or a Rawlings baseball. So I think just the back and forth was, you know, you don't want to say entertaining, but I guess it was entertaining. Just the, just the, just the back and forth between the coaches and the, the ADs and, and the, the CIAC just to get a better product. And, you know, I think they've they've done that, and that's what it's all about, just bringing out the best products so these guys can play. You know, it's, uh, it's big-time high school baseball, so you want to make sure that these guys are using the right equipment and the best equipment possible. So I think that was that was the best story because, you know, if the ball's not good, it can affect a lot of things, you know, if it takes a bad hop because it's kind of mushed. You know, it's you want to make sure that you got that on point. So to me, that was the – the biggest and most interesting story of the year. Sure, and obviously from uh, from our perspective, happy to see that it seemed like the uh, the the things were uh, were working the way everybody wanted once we got to uh, particularly once we got to tournament time uh, towards the end of the year. So obviously from our from our perspective, we were happy to uh, to see that and that uh, folks seemed satisfied uh, with, with the way it worked out uh, at the end. So. Henry, we uh, we appreciate all your work covering uh, baseball along with other things. Obviously, you uh, you join us throughout the year on the uh, the CIC cast, but we uh, we appreciate your baseball knowledge coming out for us, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, maybe next fall once we get going once again. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Thanks as always to Henry for joining us on the CIAC cast. Enjoyed his uh, take on what went down at the baseball championships and the baseball season this season. Final guest this week, not a someone who's talk, going to talk about a specific sport, but a specific school that put together just a remarkable spring season and really a year all together. We reach out to Steve Buno of the Darien Times to talk a little bit about what he saw in what was a remarkable championship season down in Fairfield County. We have another first-time podcast guest with us this week. It's Steve Buno from the uh, excuse me, Steve Buno from the um, Darien Times is joining us. And uh, Steve, thanks very much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Absolutely, Joel. Uh, so wanted to talk with you because really one of the stories of the spring, and uh, it's interesting, last spring, I think uh, around this time we were talking about the Oxford uh, Oxford's High School's remarkable spring where they won the baseball, softball, and boys volleyball championships. And uh, and this year, if you look at our tournament central section, you see uh, Darien High School's name all over the place. And uh, I know that's not a, you know, a, a tremendous outlier for this school. They've, they've had a lot of success over the years, but it seemed like this spring uh, kind of went above and beyond uh, in terms of the success that they were able to have. So I wanted to chat with you a little bit about it. And uh, I guess starting with the, the boys and girls lacrosse teams, which, you know, are, again, are perennial, perennially strong teams. And uh, it has happened before where they've each earned championships in the same year, but not since 2009. And I know the boys team had uh, had been down, at least by their standards, a little bit uh, in recent years. So just sort of curious uh, if there was a sense before this season that this could be a big year for those programs or, or was this sort of, you know, bubbling up or, or what was sort of the expectations for those teams kind of heading into the year and, and then leading up to the, the double championship that they were able to get? Well, the girls team was 
seems destined to repeat. And that was, it was on the cards and it was, became apparent uh, not long into the season when they, mm-hmm. they were knocking off their main competition. And it seemed, the girls seemed destined to win yet again because they've got these four leading seniors this year that were four-year uh, starters mm-hmm. and kind of their star players. And uh, they had reached their peak this season and obviously were going to lead the team probably you know, just through to repeat as state champs. The boys, on the other hand, the writing was on the wall with them, maybe attitude-wise, because they were they were most uh, keen to avenge their 10-6 and six season last year and to mm-hmm. get back into championship form. And that's, they had the horses to do that, Joel, and they also, so they, you know, with kids, motivation is key, and they're all on the same page because they all were tremendously motivated to get there. I mean, they had to hack their way through New Canaan. Yeah. And they did. And they did three times, which is pretty remarkable. But again, I think the writing was on the wall for boys lacrosse down to the fact that they were extremely motivated, as they kept saying uh, in interviews. Yeah. Uh, to avenge last year, seeing themselves, this, that, and the other sort of thing. Yeah. So that, but, you know, they both, uh, yeah. Girls, you knew they were going to win. The boys, that was a, a, a coin toss. But uh, with every victory over New, uh, New Cain in the first regular season and then the semis at SCF, that coin became a little bit more one-sided. So that by the time of the, the state final last week, the writing was very huge, uh, billboard-sized on the wall, saying that uh, they were the favorite going in. Yeah, and uh, and as I said, you know, these are obviously uh, Darien boys and girls lacrosse are, are you know familiar to to championship success. Is there you know a sense though that uh, this was a little bit special having uh, both of them win in the same year? You know, obviously they have done that as I mentioned in the past, but it had been uh, since 2009 was the last time that the, that both programs. So is there sort of a, a satisfaction and a and a feeling that this was a little bit of a special year for those programs? I think so. Once the boys. Feel good deal, you know. Once they had taken down New Canaan later in the day, after Darien handled Glastonbury mm-hmm. in the same fashion they've handled every team this year, save a couple of teams from Long Island, which are which were just you know out of this world strong this year that uh, beat Darien's girls uh, away, you know, off, off on the island. You knew that that once um, it, it felt you know it felt special once they. Once they beat, once they handled New Canaan by the by the third quarter of the boys game, then then I think there was a sense that it was it was a special year. You saw some of the girls team were up in the crowd, and uh, so it, it seemed like a it seemed like a communal uh, successful communal season sort of thing. It just came full circle by the time the boys closed it out. That it did seem that way. Yeah. Um... You know, and then we we moving along to uh, the sort of that expected to some degree success, and then you have uh, a little bit uh, continuing was the the boys and girls both becoming uh, champions at the open uh, the track and field open championships. Uh, you know, particularly after not winning uh, in their class championships, it seemed like maybe this was a little bit uh, out of the blue. But were were those teams thinking they had a chance for uh, that kind of success? And what do they sort of feel like was the key to uh, to earning those championships in in outdoor track on in on the boys and girls side? I think it's just a traditional sort of thing that uh, gets you success with these high school teams, especially as with the boys lacrosse, is the motivation. I think they use the fuel of motivation of not uh, doing as well as they'd like to have done in the class meet 
mm-hmm. to you know to leap over that and to to strike in the open because that's the way the coaches were talking anyway, and I think it filtered through to the kids or maybe vice versa or probably had some sort of symbiosis going around and around with both of them. But they they seem to have caught a, a great big uh, you know push from not making the open and they are making it at, at the class meet so that they were they were able they were in position and you know what and that was, it seemed a little bit actually like the uh going back to the fall like mm-hmm. the uh the swimming drill the girls swimming team speaks of or swimming teams taper toward the end right. I, I don't think they were tapering but uh it might have been uh emotionally tapering because they mm-hmm. really did peak at the open rather than the the L and they're both coaches for both teams, Tyson Kasmarek and uh, Steve Norris. They they were talking. They they seem to reflect the positive attitude of that they were they were going to do very well at the Open this year. Yeah, and uh, they certainly uh, certainly managed to do that. And uh, that, as we said, programs that are, aren't quite as familiar uh, to success. The girls have, no. have had some some championship uh, success, but the boys Open. Uh, Boys Open Championship was, um, you know, really sort of a, 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 you know, a new success for them. So certainly uh, adding to the uh, to the slate of uh, of championships this spring. Um, and you know, not to be left out, we also have uh, you know some individual ch- uh, championships in there. As Darian freshman uh, Kateri Martin, uh, she helped the team reach the girls final uh, in their class, and then earned the the championship as, in the individual state open um, as a freshman. So a, an impressive run for her in her first collegiate uh, season. What sort of reaction uh, did that get uh, from the school and and from her you know her team and coaches to see that kind of success from a from a freshman in the her first individual individual state open in, in girls tennis. Well she had the only freshman she had the team behind her, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And she she said as much and it was obvious they came uh members of them uh, the captain and uh many team members showed up for her open run. Semifinals particularly uh Kateri said that that got her through that they had faith in her or gave her you know made her stronger. And uh so yeah tremendous uh, outpouring from the team rather than because it's such an individual sport, yeah. really, and then, right, and then it gets to the open, and it's literally you, you know, you 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 reverted to form in that sport, and you're standing alone. Well, she had they had tremendous support there in the box at Yale, and they went inside because it looked like it was going to rain. Yeah. So uh, you know, up in a little box above the uh, above where they were playing, she had screaming fans <laughs> practically from her team. You know, a lot of enthusiasm. And as far as the community goes, I can't. It's hard to judge, but actually, it's not hard to judge uh, from an electronic point of view. And mm-hmm. she gets a tremendous for an individual freshman. She's right up there with the traffic, for, yeah. uh, you know, on on uh, online with with who's clicking and reading and tweeting and favoriting and all the rest of it. And yeah. her, her stories, tremendous amount of traffic. So I mean, judging by that. The community is uh, is interested, or at least the the tennis community is interested in what she's up to because it was it was it was uh, spectacular the way she went about it. And again, I think she's the epitome of being of finding fuel and falling uh, to ultimately prevail because she lost to her doubles partner uh, that she plays with in the junior national competitions at the L final. Mm-hmm. Number one's going against each other, Lindsay Evans and. Uh, so that she went to the open, it really was quite apparent that she was 
going to use that uh, failure at the L to to bust through in the open, and it it happened, and it was, it was kind of obvious where she was getting all that gumption from. Yeah, and uh, an interesting story that uh, I know you wrote about uh, to see the the her opponent that she's very familiar with, as you said, yeah. Uh, yeah. in the uh, the open final. That's certainly a kind of a fun uh, a fun little subplot to that. But uh, mm-hmm. we you know we talked about obviously the spring and and you know you know you and I had discussed briefly before we uh, we started the interview here. Uh, just it, it really has been a season or a year long uh, kind of remarkable uh, run for for Darianne this year. You know from top to bottom and terms of teams at least sort of getting uh to have a shot at the the championship whether in the finals so is there sort of a feeling among you know the the folks that that you're talking to at the school that this was sort of a you know maybe not a uh you know an, an anomaly but sort of a a very rare season uh for Darianne high school sports that that really needed kind of to be uh celebrated and to savor it a little bit with among all the success going all the way back to the fall I think so. It's hard. It's hard for me to tell because I'm in a kind of in my glass box. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm, I'm 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 very much in the same arena as the whole school and all those sports and all those people. But at the same time, I'm I'm not. You know, and yeah. it's hard to catch the to get the pulse and really know what the kids that showed up to these games are. Had any sense that this is particularly wonderful because it's never happened before? I think I just thought it was particularly wonderful because it was, it was just so much fun. Yeah, you know the roles these teams got on, but there was a continuity through it, and it was quite apparent. Three, you know, want to call them major sports: football and boys hockey. Well, they changed, don't they? Football and uh, boys hockey in the winter for Darianne, mm-hmm. and boys cross for for Darianne. It's the major. I said a major sport, but. Most people turn out for it, get the biggest buzz and yeah. attention and, and, and such. Uh, the there's I talked to John Reed. He, he's a uh, you know he's a football standout and he's also a lacrosse standout. And I talked to him. The last person I talked to at the, the lacrosse final, the state final, and he was very much in the crowd. You know because they all support each other. It's kind of interesting. And during the hockey season. Yeah. So, you know, I asked him, because McCannon ultimately spoiled the, the football season, season in the state final. Right. And and ultimately knocked Darianne out of the FCAC finals, prep beat them in the you know, state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's on, on their minds, from crossover, people that play to at least by this time, just by those players, but by the people it turned out to scream their heads off supporting the Darien team, those teams. It was very much a sense of the school to, uh, you know, that they were, they had, they had to do in New, New Canaan this time, you know, and they did it twice and then it came down to the final. And were they going to succeed with the hockey team and the football team, you know, didn't to, to their great, uh, Disappointment, and uh, I can't remember exactly what John Reed said, but he said, uh, you know, got him three times this time. And, yeah. And how great that was. And so it was significant, and it, and it was very definitely on top of their minds, just school versus school with only Payne and Darien rivalry yeah. as well. And so, yeah, so it, in that sense, it, it was a very special year and observed as, 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 uh, as so by people right at the center of the hurricane there, like, like the Reed with football and boys across. 
Right. Sort of uh, along the same line, just from from your perspective covering it, what was what was the sort of the biggest story, uh, you know, for the year? What was the if you if you not to uh, not to have you necessarily rank the the championships or anything like that, but uh, what was kind of the biggest Darien story from the the 2013-14 season from your perspective? Well, yeah, right. From my perspective, you, you can't really. Uh, you, you can't really you can't really make a judgment like that without admitting to bias. Sure, you don't have to admit to it, but <laughs> anyone who's going to going to say he's going to compare one sport to the next and what, which which felt the which felt the like the biggest story. Well, my bias is hockey. That's my sport. That is it. That's everything else grows out of that. That's okay. I guess every sports reporter has their main story, sure. main sport. Maybe they don't. I think I I'm I'm more along. I'm more of a one sport sports reporter than anybody. So you know they're all fun, and uh, mm-hmm. I cover them all with equal energy. I hope, but the hockey felt like the biggest buzz for sure. Maybe because it's a contained, maybe because you get you get you get, you get uh, enthusiastic, uh, large crowds, and maybe because it's contained under the roof of a small hockey arena that it feels like it's. Uh, yeah, I feel you get to you really feel the impact, but. That following right to the end, right to the when they lost to Fairfield Prep. I mean, I mean I've never seen a crowd like that. Yeah. I don't want to compare it to other crowds with other sports, but nothing uh, approached what was going on there. And they lost, and they still were out there, and the team as well were were uh, kind of celebrating a fantastic season, like the likes of which they hadn't had for decades. You know, even though they lost at the state final, I, the biggest story. Biggest story was uh, it was a return to the, the lacrosse, returning to form, you know, and winning winning states this year. But I mean, that happens quite often. You don't often get uh, the hockey team at their end competing for the state final and going to the overtime, going to overtime with prep, and really nearly getting there. Yeah. Football, 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 making the state finals unusual, but they've won. They've won. You know, they've. Uh, They've had their successes since Rob Trifone came along. I, I don't know. I can't remember how many years ago. But uh, he turned that program around. So success with football. Uh, is though, like hockey, they they did fall at States, ultimately. I, I Again, my, my bias is hockey, so i got to say that. But at the same time, the, the, uh, the vibe from boys hockey to go into the final, very unusual and very legit that they were there. And the and the, team, and the, uh, the school really seemed to participate with that. They really brought out some crazy crowds. Yeah, and uh, you know had a good time and had a good time with it. You know fought hard and fell, but it still it, it didn't leave a bit of taste in the mouth. I don't think season yeah. they had. I talked to some hockey players. They're also lacrosse players at the end again, like Reed with football, and uh, they're they still seem to be buzzing over their hockey season, though they didn't win ultimately. And it seems like that buzz is going to carry on with them for some years. Yeah, no, I think that, uh, and I, you know, obviously I, w- I was unfortunately uh, not at the, uh, the hockey final, but I know the, uh, the play of the Darien goalie was, uh, was a, a lot to, you were hearing about, hearing about that all the way up at uh, Mohegan Sun where I was that weekend, sort of his efforts in that, uh, in that final. So uh, that certainly was a, a wonderful story and, and part of a, yeah, just a tremendous year for the Darien Blue Wave. So wanted to, uh, yeah, to that give goalie it a do. Did a little bit of a lung twist there, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was there. He was there. He just needed. He just needed one more 
well, I guess two more goals. One more, one more goal at the right time would have done it for him. And yeah, exactly. made all those saves stand up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, certainly wanted to uh, to take the time to to chat with you and and give uh, just a remarkable uh, you know all the way back to to the fall as you said, but particularly yeah. a remarkable spring. Uh, it's due for uh, the Darien Athletics Program. So uh, well, as we said, a school that's uh, had a lot of success, but uh, certainly uh, just an outstanding uh, from start to finish spring season uh, for the team this year. Right. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you, Joel. Thanks for asking me. Thanks to Steve Buno for being with us and offering his thoughts on, as we said, just a tremendous championship season uh, down in that part of the state. We appreciate his uh, his knowledge on the issues and uh, appreciate all of our guests being with us this week. We had quite a few. We had Glenn Conticello, we had Mike Sportini, we had Henry Chisholm, and of course Steve Buno. We're going to wrap things up quickly here as we have cruised past the hour mark, which is usually my unofficial uh, my unofficial cut time for the CIAC cast. But again, hope to come back next week with some more championship uh, recaps and get a sense for how those other champions championships went that we weren't able to discuss this week. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at CIAC Sports, Facebook.com slash CIAC Sports, CIAC Sports.com, always your best bet for up-to-date CIAC Sports information. So we hope you will be back with us next week. Once again, I'm Joel Cookson. Thank you very much for being with us on this edition of the CIAC Cast. <laughs>